together. It was always a good thing. So I'm glad you're here. This evening, before we start, I just think it's, it's really important for us to just take a moment to pray for our nation. Uh, I believe that what we're facing right now uh, nationally with the threat of North Korea is definitely a threat. And we as believers need to be praying for our leaders. So let's begin this evening. And I'm going to lead us in prayer, but as the Holy Spirit leads you, now let's just all bow in a word of prayer. Father, uh, I just come uh, to you, we do as a fellowship. And we believe, God, that nothing uh, goes beyond your sovereign hand. And yet we do pray for the leaders of our nation. All those that are making decisions, the words that are being hurled, and even the world consensus right now, which is against that regime. We pray, Lord, for that country and any Christians that might be there in North Korea. We ask, God, that you would sustain them, that their ministry, even though it's underground, Lord, would be effective. We pray for the Christians and and the nation of South Korea that's really threatened. And, Father, we ask that you would intervene. We pray, Lord, that you would protect um, and watch over uh, and, and really intervene within the heart and souls of all these people. But, but, Lord, as a nation, we just come to you. We believe that you hold the answers. We believe that we need to cry out to you as a nation, and so we do that tonight. So, Father, may you have your way, and, and we pray, Lord, for the peace and safety of, of uh, our citizens here those in Guam and, and all those that are um, really representing us in the military around the world, we pray for their safety, Lord. And tonight, Lord, as we turn to your word, I pray that you would refresh us with this topic of repentance and reconciliation. Lord, that you would teach us from this story uh, all about that important, important truth about repentance. Lord, I, I want to be a, a man that repents. I want to be in a church that repents. People that, that see their ways and, and right their wrongs through repentance, godly repentance. And uh, Lord, as, as uh, we've read this story over the last few weeks, you've taught us much. Um, and we ask God that you would continue to teach and lead us as we open up your word now. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to chapter 44 of Genesis. If you're here uh, for the first time or if you're new on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of Genesis for over a year now. I've broken the book up into series. We started with creation, obviously, and then we moved through the book. And now we're in this last section, really the longest section in the book that is all about the life of Joseph. And Joseph becomes a great study for us. Lots to learn, lots to apply to our lives. But you'll recall back in chapter 43 that, that it was Jacob slash Israel. Remember, Jacob's name's been changed to Israel, but he still referred to Jacob because he's still got a lot of Jacob in him. And whenever he's named Israel, you know, that, that's the nation of Israel, his sons. God is getting them from Canaan down into Egypt where they'll be for quite a while. God has a purpose and a plan. And by the way, if you're wondering where we're going after this, we're going to go right into Exodus. 
Um, Genesis really leads us into Exodus. Great study flowing perfectly into that time. And uh, we'll go right to Exodus in a few uh, weeks. We'll be in there. But uh, last week, you'll recall that it was Jacob who sent his sons for the second time back down to Egypt. They'd been there, been home a year or so. They ran out of food. It was almost two years. We'll find that out tonight. You'll see that, that they're in year, there's five more years of famine. Uh, it, it shows up here in this next chapter. But for a couple of years, they've lived off the food, and they, they, they now need more food. And, and it's Judah who emerges as the leader of the family. And Judah's going to get blessed later on. So that's key to know that Judah uh, becomes, although he's not the oldest, he becomes the leader of the family. He's the one that, that pleads for mercy. He's the, the leader, and we'll see him this evening quite a bit. But it's Judah that says, Dad, you know, my kids are hungry, your grandkids, and, and we need food. And Jacob does not want to send his children down there with Benjamin. He loves Benjamin. He loved Rachel and and her two sons, Benjamin and Joseph. And he doesn't want to let go of Joseph or Benjamin. He's already lost Joseph and he's afraid, very afraid. And and his kids, these boys, have finally picked up on that. And they finally, their conscience has grown now. These Boys that had no conscience, that were, had killed people, they, they were ruthless, they were lying just like their dad, they were deceptive just like their dad. Now they're learning that God is using the situation in Joseph's life to bring about this series of tests, and now they're learning, and they're, they're coming to a place where they're realizing They've regretted some things they've done, but they haven't repented. They're going to repent tonight. We're going to learn about repentance tonight. So we begin chapter 44 and verse 1 with these guys that are they're excited. They're, they're, they're giving each other high fives. They're, they're going to leave. They're going to leave. They, they've gone down. They've got the food. And uh, they're all excited now. They're going to head back to their dad. But they don't know that Joseph has given his stewards some special secret orders. In my first point tonight, Joseph frames his brother's Notice in verse 1, and he commanded the steward, that's Joseph, commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, my cup, the silver cup, the special cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money as well. So he did, the steward did, according to everything that Joseph had told him. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away. They're high-fiving each other. We're out of here. We got our grain. We're going back to dad. They got on their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city, they weren't very far away. Joseph said to his steward, get up and follow those men. And when you overtake them, Say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this one from which my Lord drinks and the which he indeed uh, practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them and he spoke them the same words. And they said, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing. We didn't take anything. Look, we, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan, all the money which we found in the mouth of our sack the first time. 
How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? What, what, what are you blaming us for? And with whomever of your servants it is found? I mean, we didn't do this. If you find it, let him die. Wow. And we also will be my Lord's slave. Now, there's a silver cup there, this divining cup, as we're going to find this. This is one of the topics, interesting topics of this. But Joseph uses this distinctly Egyptian cup that the Egyptians believed had this divining ability, but we already know that Joseph isn't putting any faith in a cup, right? He gets his direction from God. God shows him what he wants him to see in visions and dreams. It's not, a, it's not about a cup, but Joseph is going to use this cup because he's still hiding. He's still hiding behind this facade of being an Egyptian when he's not. He's already laid out his brothers in a certain order. The night before they had dinner and he laid them all out in a certain order and they were fairly wondering, how does he know who's the oldest and who's the youngest? And so he uses this cup kind of to hide, you know, behind. And he, he puts it in the bag of the youngest one. And I, I just really believe that the cup, as they look at this cup, they're thinking, we know this Egyptian guy. He, he's wise. He's wiser than everyone. And this cup really represents that. So... As soon as they leave with all of their donkeys and all of their load of grain and all of their walking, they're actually leaving the city. They haven't gone very far. Immediately, it says here that the steward runs out and he accuses them of stealing Joseph's special silver cup. I can't imagine that it wasn't at the dinner the night before, this big cup that represents you know, his authority. And they all recognize this cup. So he stops and accuses them of stealing the cup. And their defense is that they didn't keep the money the first time. Why would they take money and why would they take a cup? We have no need for a cup. Uh, I'm sure they even said, you know, we're wealthy. We're rich. We have plenty of money to buy grain. We, we wouldn't steal anything. Now, very interestingly, as they're stopped and as they're they go from high-fiving one another to, to now we're in trouble. I mean, they're, they're looking at each other like, what's going on? And now they're going to be fearful again. Remember when they were, were going back the second time? They were really fearful. They thought, he's going to keep Benjamin. Simeon might not be released. Maybe we'll all be slaves. Remember, they were, they were... But then they have this feast, and they couldn't believe it. They got all this food, and, and they, they were able to buy everything, and they were leaving the next day. It was happening really quick. They thought, oh, this is great. And yet now they're accused of stealing this cup of Joseph, this silver cup. And their defense is, we, we would never do that because we return the money. Now they're confident of their innocence. They're so confident that they said, listen, if, if what we say isn't true, then, then let one of us die. I mean, they were pretty serious about, about how, their innocence here. And they said, let the thief be put to death. And then the rest of us will become slaves. But the steward, this is really interesting. I believe the steward knows what's going on. And he's like, whoa, calm down. We're not going to do that. And he kind of modifies this death sentence that they've laid out. He modifies that. And he says in verse 10, 
now also let it be according to your words. I mean, maybe we'll do that, but, but he with whom it is found shall be my slave. Just the one, not all of you. We're not going to kill anybody, but just the one that has it is going to be my slave. So the, the guilty is going to be enslaved. The rest are going to go free. And then verse 11, then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground. They want to know. And each opened his sack, so he searched. He began with the oldest, and he left off with the youngest. So there's the steward. He goes to each one, and he's checking out their bag. Okay, you're good. No, check the next one. And then he gets to Benjamin's sack. Can you imagine what the brothers are thinking? Not Benjamin. Anybody but Benjamin. They know exactly that this is their worst nightmare that's come to pass at this point in time. And then notice what the brothers do there in verse 13. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. They were so upset. They were, they were just, it was the worst. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And they just ripped their clothes, which is a sign of sorrow and, and repentance. And so they tear their clothes, and they filled their sacks, they tie and put them back on the donkeys, and, and so he, uh, and then they go back to the town. So Joseph, Joseph um, has disappeared, and it was in the past, I, 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 in my mind, I'm going back to this, Joseph um, had disappeared, and it was Jacob who tore his clothes. When Joseph was gone, and the brothers came to him, uh, Jacob, and he said, Jacob, uh, your, your, your youngest isn't with us, and here's the bloody clothes. Remember, that's when Jacob just tore his clothes, and all the brothers just kind of stood around because they knew they had just sold him into slavery. They, they knew he wasn't dead, but they had deceived Jacob. But now, it's the brothers who are tearing their clothes, and no one has died, but Benjamin is under threat now of having to stay there in Egypt. Now, the fact that they all tear their clothes, it, it really goes back to, to Joseph and what he's doing. And he's, he's putting their, these brothers in all of these different tests because he's trying to get them to understand. And these tests go on and on. We've seen several of them over the last couple of chapters. He's trying to get them to self-realize, to, to realize that they're wrong, that they've they're not honest men. Remember, they said, we're honest men. They're, you're not honest men. You're liars. You're deceivers. And he's trying to get them to, to understand that through this series of tests. And now, after 22 years, you know, they're realizing that their decisions have cost not only Joseph's life, but, but the, could cost the life of Benjamin. And it's their father that they're thinking about. They're thinking about their father who said, I don't want Benjamin to go because he's going to get, he'll be held there. They're changing. Their conscience is alive. They're feeling guilty about what they're doing. That's why they ripped their clothes. They wouldn't have done that if there was no guilt. So they've really changed here. And it's all a result of Joseph's test. And that's really what Joseph is looking for. That's what Joseph's trying to do. And as they return, they're going to come back to Joseph. And here's the next section here. I'm just going to wrap it up with my point here. The brothers repent. Look at verse 14. So Judah and his brothers 
came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. Notice what they do. They fell before him on the ground. So again, they're bowing before, just like his prophecy from 22 years ago. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I certainly practice divination? Now, he's playing the game. Joseph is not a diviner. We know that I, I believe thoroughly he's just playing a drama out here, still playing the part as an Egyptian. Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? In other words, I don't even know what to tell you. Or how shall we clear ourselves? And notice what he says now. This is really important. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves. In other words, he's finally realizing that God is directing. He's finally giving, for the first time, he's giving uh, the, the fact that God is sovereignly working. Hasn't done that before. This is a new thing for him. And it's through these series of tests and calamities in, in the life of these brothers, Joseph's brothers, that they're finally, their conscience is awake. They're finally getting ready to repent. And I love the fact that he says that God has found out the iniquity of your servants and we're slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. In other words, you know, I don't care what you say. I'm going to take Benjamin. He's staying here. And the rest of you can go. That's my sentence really on you. Now, that is going to cause these brothers to feel even more sorrow, even more grief. And this is what Joseph has been trying to do all along, to get them to understand that, that they need to repent, that they need to ch change their ways. And, and I can't help also believe that God has orchestrated this whole of all these events to bring them to this place because God loves them and God's chosen them, even though they're boneheads, they're deceivers, they're liar, liars, they're murderers, but God's chosen them. And God's going to work in their life. And he is not going to give up. I, I find a lot of hope in that for me, personally. That God never gives up. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and, and admit you're a bonehead tonight. But I, I am. And I make bad choices. And yet I know my God loves me. And he's merciful. And he's gracious. There it goes. I see that hand. I see that hand. All these men. It's so, so important to understand that. And that's what God does to you and I. He, he takes us through difficult things, so finally we'll recognize that, oh, that's the wrong thing. I, I've disobeyed your word. I, I've disobeyed your command. These guys, they needed a lot to get to this point, and they're finally getting there. Again, the story is an illustration of the necessity of repentance. Do you understand, Christian, how important repentance is? I'm not talking regret. No, we're not talking regret. I'm talking about repentance. John the Baptist's message in the New Testament was this. A couple of verses real quick. Matthew 3, 2. Here it is. Repent. This was his message. This is what he said down by the Jordan River in the, in the desert. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That theme of repentance is throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. Isaiah 30, verse 15 
For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. It's that, that whole idea of repentance, returning. And on the day of Pentecost, you'll remember Peter in Acts chapter 2. He preaches this sermon. Here it is. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance is a huge theme. And true repentance, listen, true repentance is a prerequisite for conversion. In other words, the Bible says that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. But in believing, and I've always said this, and I think it gets confused often, but in believing in Jesus, you're turning from something. You're repenting from something, and we all turn from something different. Repentance really means to turn, to change the mind. It's the word metanoia in the Greek. It means to turn. And everybody turns from it. I was 13. Some of you were 60, so you had a whole laundry list of things you'd done. And I was just as much a sinner as you were. And I had to repent just like you did. But I didn't have to repent maybe of that whole laundry list, but, but I had to repent. Everyone has, you have to repent. And re, when you turn to Jesus Christ, you're repenting. And that's what that word means. That was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message in all the major and minor prophets. And Peter preached that as well in Acts chapter 3. So, True repentance is a prerequisite of conversion. You can't have forgiveness without it. Again, metanoia in the Greek means to change. Meta means to change. Noia means mind. You change your mind. You finally see clearly that what you're doing is wrong. You're, You're a sinner. And you turn away from that sin. And you turn to God. And that's that act of repentance or changing your mind. It's really a radical thing. The world around you, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, they, they don't want to change their mind. They want to go further and further into sin, right? But the person that, that recognizes that changes their mind and turns away from those things. It's a radical transformation from seeking to please yourself to seeking to please God, repentance. And that's what Joseph is looking for in his brothers. That's why he's put him through all of these these tests. And now Joseph hears that his brothers are starting to repent. And they've they've acknowledged God. They've, They've acknowledged God for the first time. And he's hearing that. That's what he wants to hear. Verse 16 says, then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? God has found out the iniquity of your servants, not me, Judah. He's talking for his brothers. Judah's representing his brothers and speaking, and he says, we've all, all of us. Now, when he acknowledges his guilt here, this guilt of, of the cup in one sense, Judah knows that neither he or his brothers took the cup. He doesn't believe any of them took the cup. That's why he was willing to say, I'll die for this. You can take my life. I'll substitute myself. That's why he made that claim. We didn't take the cup. So when he's confessing guilt, you have to kind of read into this a little bit that the guilt he's talking about is the guilt 
from 22 years ago when he mistreated his brother. The, the conscience begins to awaken. And I believe that as a Christian, you go through your life, and yes, you're forgiven. And if you were to die today, even with a little guilt, you, because you put your faith in Christ, you're going to heaven. But as you grow in the Lord, God reminds you of things in the past. And he wants you to be warned not to do it again. And he wants you to sometimes make restitution, sometimes not fall into that same pattern and do the same things again. God is tra training and instructing us here. And in this case, it's the guilt of the brothers here. And they, they confess to something they, they didn't do, but now they're confessing to something. God has brought this on us. That's what he's saying. God, God has found out the iniquity that was in your servants. God knows what it is. And now he's kind of brought it to our attention. We understand what, what we've done. No excuses, no rationalizations. He basically just comes clean and says we're guilty. Here's a great proverb. We're studying the Proverbs on Sunday night, but we'll get to this one in a few months. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's what God wants for you and me. I believe that as I'm doing this Bible study, the Holy Spirit's speaking. As I did it today, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and revealing some things that I had to deal with. True repentance is a change of heart. True repentance is, is asking forgiveness. I read this illustration today. I just want to share it, just kind of lighten the mood for just a moment. We, everyone's heard about George Washington. Cut down a few trees, remember? And his dad came up and said, who cut that tree down? Who, who? And, and we all know the story. I, this is a big political story, by the way. Does anyone really believe that George Washington went to his dad and said, Dad, I cut down the cherry tree? I think it was a slogan for political reasons. But, but nonetheless, you know, me, oh, I'm sorry, I blew your image of George Washington. <laughs> nonetheless, he, he, he admits to his father, you know, that, that he did it, you know, he cut it down. But there's another story about his father hearing that, a real father, saying, all right, so you admit it. You always admit it. The question is, when are you going to stop cutting down trees? Think about that. Think about what that means in terms of, of our own guilt or our own sin. It's one thing to say, you know, I, I shouldn't do it. I'm sorry I did it. But it's another thing to continue to do it again and again and again. True repentance is you turn away from that sin and you leave it behind. And that's the kind of repentance that I believe Joseph is after. I believe that's what God wants uh, in our hearts too. True repentance is a change of heart. And that's the story. That really is the story here. Now notice Judah's appeal in verse 18. This is a beautiful, beautiful narrative. And it goes, so I'm going to stop and break it up a little bit. But it's, it goes from verse 18 to verse 34. And Judah is really pouring out his heart. This is a heart of repentance. And he, he listened to what he says. My Lord asked his servants, or pardon me, verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, oh, my Lord, please, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. Do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. So obviously, Joseph is playing the part, my divination cup. He's got the scowl on his face, like, you're going to pay for this, and I'm taking Benjamin. And so Judah, please, please, 
We have more to say. Again, Judah's humble. Judah's not act, acting like he's all bold and like, come on, you can't do that to us. That's unfair. He's just very, very humble here. And he's reminding Joseph, I, I told you we were honest. We really are honest men. That's kind of what he's saying. My Lord asked his servants, verse 19, saying, have you a father or a brother? Remember, we talked about this. And, and we said to you, my Lord, we have a father. He's an old man, a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone has left his mother's children, and his father loves him. So Judah's saying that, that we, we told you the truth. This is the same story. Listen to what I'm saying to you. He's just making his appeal here. Then you said to your servant, verse 21, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. So he's reminding Joseph the whole story here. We can't leave the lad. And l listen to what he says here. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. He'd be so grieved because he didn't have a son that he'd die. But you said, verse 23, to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes with, with you down here, you'll not see my face anymore. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy a little food. But we said, we can't. Now, he's being very honest, right? We, we know this story. We can't go back. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless the youngest brother's with us. We were threatened. We were told we have, if we want to buy more food, we have to bring the youngest one with us. Again, He's saying that even though Jacob didn't want Benjamin to go, they had made an appeal to their father to, to allow them to go, and that's why they, they were there now. Now, beginning in verse 27 here, Judah, he, he's trying to express how heartbroken his father would be over this whole thing. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. That's Rachel. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take Benjamin, this one also from me, and calamity, if he dies too, you will bring my gray hair, or bring down my gray hair, gray hair with sorrow to the grave. He's just saying, I, I just can't handle this. I'm too old. I can't handle the loss of another son. I don't know what I'll do. I'll be so grieved. And, and just think about that story. I'm sure they heard that story month after month, year after year, for years and years and years. And finally, he says to them, I, 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 you know, you, my son's gone. My son's gone. My son's gone. Speaking of Joseph. And now I can't bear to live without Benjamin. Now, therefore, verse 30, when I come to your servant, my father... And the lad is not with us since his life is bound up in the lad's life. It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, your fa or our, our father, with sorrow to the grave. The, his and ours and back and forth. He's just talking about Jacob, his dad. You know, I, I, we, we can't do this to our dad. Do, do you realize what this is going to do to Jacob, our father? It's going to destroy him. 
4, and then he says about him, speaking of himself, Judah, your servant became surety to the lad, to my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please, now he's making this final appeal to Joseph. Judah says, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. In other words, I'll just stay here. I'll be your slave. Let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go back to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. It's going to destroy my dad. I, I don't even want to go home if Benjamin doesn't go. It'll destroy my father, and I can't bear to, to watch it. Now, in that, that whole appeal, you hear the, the heart. You hear a, a sensitive heart, a, a heart he's concerned about his dad, and he cares about his little brother. And Joseph is listening. Because when Joseph was thrown in the pit, that wasn't Judah's heart. When he was sold and, and, and was carried away by the slave traders to Egypt, the heart of Judah and the other brothers were like, I can't get out of here. We just hate you. You know, they were so glad. But, but now their heart's different. And Judah's heart is I, I, sensitive. I can't, my father, yeah, I, I just can't bear to see my father's broken heart. And, and Benjamin, it's, it really shows how he has radically changed. And now they're going to regret everything they did to their brother. They're regretting it right now. They, they once lied to their father about Joseph's death. And, and it was God who reminded them. And, and they're remembering everything. God has brought all this back to their memory. And they're doing all that they can. And I say they, you know, Judah's speaking, but I'm sure the brothers are behind him. Yes, 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 you know. We'll stay here. Let him go. Let, let Benjamin go back to him. Because they realized what they had done. They're feeling guilty and they feel regret. At one time, these brothers hated Rachel's sons, hated them. But now they, they want to protect Benjamin with their own lives. It's a radical change that's happened in their lives. And no doubt, they're acknowledging their sin and they're, they're in this attitude of repentance. That's, that's what repentance does. You're, you're admitting your guilt. It's one thing to be guilty. It's another thing to repent. You're just admitting your guilt and your blame for your sin. You think about repentance. You don't hear a lot about that today. You hear about, you know, God will give you a new life. Everything will be good. He'll change you. And, and I, he does that. God changes you. Part of that change comes as a result of your will. Your will, you choose to change. Metanoia, you change your mind. Now, we could go into the theology of, of God's calling and his election and, and his touch in your life, and I believe all that stuff has to do with it, but you still have to, by your own volition, make a choice to change. Because you can be a Christian and I believe the church is filled with Christians, so-called Christians, that dabble in sin and never repent. And the Holy Spirit's convicting them, working in their life. But they, they just, you know, I, I, that's who I am. I can do that. I, I can do it. It's secret. No one else knows. I, I think the church is filled with those kinds of people who, 
rationalize their sin because their parents did it or, or other Christians do it too. And that's a bad plan, Christian. If you're dabbling in some area that, that could be viewed as sin, your influence on your family, on your neighbors, on those around you for Christ. What have you done with, you, with your witness? It's destroyed because you won't repent. You won't turn away from that sin. When you rationalize your sin or you blame others, like I, I think that's what happens in our current society. When someone's caught red-handed, you know, with, with, in their sin. The first thing they say is, oh, my parents did it. I, I was raised in a dysfunctional home, whatever that means. I'm sure there's some homes that are pretty weird. But we do that. We shift the blame on someone else. It's never us. You will never come to a point of repentance, Christian, until you individually see yourself as a sinner and turn away from that sin. Repentance, not regret. It's a different topic. It's not regretting and not getting caught. It's, it's knowing you're busted, knowing you're wrong, and turning away from that sin. No excuses. Judah and his brothers, they've been brought to this place in their life. Obviously, God is working, but Joseph is the one that's given them these tests over this period of time. Joseph is waiting. He's pretending to be behind a silver cup. He's pretending to be Egyptian in his language and his, he's shaven and, and his countenance and, his, and all. He's pretending. He's waiting for his brothers to finally admit that they were wrong. And he wants to make sure that, that they're going to do, their life is radically different than when they treated him 22 years ago because he's measuring everything with Benjamin. And now they're willing to die for Benjamin. They're willing to become a slave so Benjamin can, can be released. So he's succeeding in everything that he wants to do. And it, and, and it becomes here at the beginning of it, we're just going to look at the first few verses of chapter 45, but this is when it all comes down. Joseph is finally seeing and hearing everything that he's wanted to. The tests are, are working. And so Joseph, my next point here in chapter 45, he reveals himself to his brothers. Verse 1, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out. Can you imagine the years of, of repression, the years of holding back all of those things because he was seen as a reputable man. He wasn't whining about his family. He held it all in. He held it all back. And, and then he's working with his brothers, and they say they didn't lie, and he knows they lied. And so he begins to put him through this series of tests, and he just can't hold himself anymore. He, he can't restrain himself as he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. All the Egyptians were gone. The steward, the guards, everyone was gone. It was just Joseph and his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Where? From behind the doors. They're all, they're all listening. They love this man. He's, he's, this guy, whatever he says happens. And they, he's honest. He's true. And everybody trusts him. And so they, they just got kicked out of the room. And so they're at the door looking through the keyhole. They're, they're listening to what's going on. Then Joseph, verse 3, said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? I, I love that. But his brothers could not answer him. They're, they're like, 
They, they just can't figure this out. They, they can't answer him. They're dismayed in his presence. Now, the, the Hebrew word for dismayed, bahal, it's bahal, and it means amazed or frightened to the point of terror. They, they're terrified. They're like, they, they, they have no idea. They're just spinning right now. They have no idea what's going on. They don't believe it. Look at his clothes. He's Egyptian. His language, the cup, all this stuff. And then maybe some of the things come back to their memory. How did he know what order to set us in? Where did he get all this wisdom? They're, at this point, they're not sure what to do. Now, they receive him, and it, I don't know, I almost hesitate to say it, but I think it's probably the right thing. He's there with his brothers. The only way that he can prove he's Jewish is to show him, to prove it, because all the Jews had the same mark, right? It, it, the, the Jews, and, and it's legend, it's Jewish legend, that he showed his circumcision to them, and that's what proved finally, because remember he was shaved, he looked different, and that was the one thing they really started looking at his face, and they really started noticing his size and his facial features, and, and really... They, they finally figure out who he is. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. That's the phrase there. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. See, he's noticed their change of heart. He noticed they're, they're beating themselves up right now. They're really feeling regret. They're feeling that what they did was wrong. He says, uh, don't, don't do that. Don't be angry with yourself because you sold me. For God sent me before you. God had a plan 22 years ago to preserve his family in Canaan. This is all part of God's plan. I love that. Joseph, he's so filled with faith. For these two years of famine has been in the land, and there's still five more years to come in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by his great deliverance. So he's acknowledging that it's God. This is all part of God's sovereign plan. His brothers are shell-shocked. They don't know what to expect. They know he's, we know. We, now we know. And now Joseph explains to them, because he's close to the Lord. He loves God. And God has revealed these things to him. And so he explains the most intimate details of what is going on with a famine and how God loves their family and loves the brothers and has a plan for them and their great deliverance. Now, when I read that, I see a man who has answered some questions here. Joseph, what, what am I here for? God. What's my purpose in life? Well, God's put me in a place so I can make sure everybody has enough food in, in the world. Wow. I mean, he really knows. He can answer those, those questions, even though he was mistreated by his family. Talk about a dysfunctional home. And Joseph, he knew that God's purpose was much greater than the evil purpose his brothers had for him. Back in verse 8, so now it was, or, or back to verse 8 here in chapter 45, so now it was not you who sent me here, 
but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He's acknowledging that God is in control, that God has, has his fate, his circumstances, all the things in his life. God is in control of everything. And because God was in control, he was going to work it all out. He was trusting the Lord. He was living for God. I, I, I love that truth there. And then here's my final point this evening as we conclude with verse 9 through 15. Joseph sends his brothers home. So he says, hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and don't tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and your children and your children's children and all your flocks and herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold your eyes, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that, is it, that it is in my mouth that speaks to you. So we look the same. See, maybe the color of their eyes were the same. Maybe their voices were, the, were similar. Can you imagine what a, I mean, what a reunion he hasn't seen Benjamin. He saw the brothers in the first time that he hadn't seen Benjamin. He grew up with him. He was his bigger brother. He loved his little brother. And he gets to see him. And so he makes that, that correlation there. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. In the Old Testament, that's just the way they, they just, oh, they just love each other. And they hugged one another. And, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He recognized, this is my older brother. Oh, it's so good to see you. Moreover, verse 15, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And notice that Joseph is extending grace to all of them. He hasn't, you know, looked at, at Reuben and, and, and the older ones that sold him, you know, and, and, and made the deal. He hasn't looked at them any less. He's showing grace to all of them. Benjamin first, because that's his, you know, blood brother. But he, he, he hugs and kisses. He receives all of them. What a, a reuniting here. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story here. And even those brothers that had sold him and treated him so harshly, he, he touches and he kisses them and he hugs them. And I'll bet you during this whole time, you know, the, each brother is trying to get in line or, or get their way in to say, hey, bro, I'm sorry, sorry, bro, I, I was wrong, I was wrong, forgive me. You know, I, this is all going on. They're weeping, this, this family reunion here. But more than that, all the exciting things that God had done in his life, he starts to share all of those things. He's talking to them. Verse 15 says, and after that, his brothers talked with him. And so, hey, what about this? And, and, and what happened when you first got there? And, and really, you were in the house, and all that stuff happened, and Potiphar, and then, and then you were elevated, and they, they're going into all the detail. They're talking about all these things together. Now, the reason I titled this message, Repentance and Reconciliation, is because you can't have reconciliation until you first have Repentance. In order to be reconciled, you have to admit and confess. And isn't that what we do as Christians? We confess our sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we confess those things. 
And when we repent, we can have this reconciliation with God, with, with family members. But remember this, repentance is, is so much more than regret. You can regret something and be sorry that you got caught. You can be sorry that you committed a sin. I believe these brothers here, they're, they're finally brought to a place of, of sorrow that overwhelms them, and that's why they tore their clothes. They were at a prime place. God had brought them to that place in life where they're ready just to tear their clothes and say, God, forgive us. We did this wrong. We wronged our brother. We sold him. And then we lied about him to our father. The sense of guilt, their conscience has been awakened, their sense of guilt. God knew and exposed them completely. And Judah, interestingly, back in the other chapter, tore their clothes, and then Judah admitted that God had found out the iniquity of your servant, verse 16. God was working. So true repentance requires sorrow for sin. It involves a deep sense of wrong. I've done the wrong thing. I've offended a holy God. I've, I've gone against his written word. And my willful actions have gone against him. That's, and as a Christian, when you realize that, you need to run from it. You need to turn away. That's what metanoia. Change your mind. Realize that what I'm doing is wrong because... When we're out of the will of God and in sin, our fellowship with God is stifled. It's not completely broken. I I don't believe as a believer you can lose your salvation, but I do believe that you can hinder your fellowship. It's like a brick wall above your head. Your prayers go nowhere. There's no answers from God. You're living in that place of torment in the life you've chosen. The prophet Ezekiel here, this last verse I want to show you this evening is a real great indicator of what repentance is. He says, repent and turn from all your transgression. Notice all. So that iniquity will not be your ruin. If you harbor iniquity in your heart, it's your ruin. It's going to drive you to do things. Then he says, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves, notice, a new heart and a new spirit. That's what repentance is. Repentance cleans you. It it makes you clean. It gives you this new heart, new attitude. That's the abundant Christian life that God wants you to have, even now. It comes through repentance, metanoia, the changing of one's mind. And again, I, I believe there's a lot of people. There's a lot of regret. There's not a lot of brokenness. So I want to take just a moment to time just to bow our heads before the Lord. Let's just take a moment. We've only got a couple minutes here. The worship team's going to come up. But let's just take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit just to reveal to us what it is we need to repent of. Father, I pray right now that as you work through this wonderful history that we've read this evening, this story, Lord, that reveals these brothers, and, and now not only their regret, but their repentance. A beautiful story, Lord. And yet, maybe there's those of us here tonight that haven't truly repented of some things. We haven't turned away from them like we should. We're, we're dabbling, we're playing with sin. I just pray, Father, that, that we would come to you and that we would repent 
And just like Ezekiel says, that if, if we turn from all our transgression, you'll give us a new heart and a new spirit. Father, I pray that for these, your people. New heart and new spirit. A revitalized desire to love you and serve you. Forgive us, O oh Lord. Show us those things that we need to turn from, repent of. Make those things known clearly, Lord, this evening to your people. Thank you, God, for just work that you do. Do that work deep in our hearts, Lord. Bring us to repentance. Your kindness, your grace that leads us to repentance. And Father, I pray for any here tonight that they've never repented. They, they've, they've heard about Jesus. They've been to church, but they've never repented. They've never seen him as Savior. And Lord, I pray tonight that they would repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty and price of their sin and that they would ask forgiveness and repent of their sin and, and be born again. Father, do that work that you can only do. And Lord, forgive us our sin. We love you.